Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. Hello, and thank you for making us a part of your podcast listening schedule. This is episode number six of The Next Track, and today we'll be talking about high-resolution audio. Now, this is a topic that I personally am very curious about because... Frankly, I just wasn't paying a lot of attention as high-res audio started getting a foothold. And uh, I'm really in the dark on the subject. And so this week we have a special guest, Chris Conacher, who runs the Computer Audiophile website. Chris, can you tell us about this website and what you do? Sure, sure. So back in, I'll rewind a little bit. Back in 2007, I was interested in ripping all my discs and, you know, kind of moving to a music server. And I was looking around online and... The information I found was very sparse and, you know, uh, was, you know, all over the place and wasn't very much. So I thought, hmm, my background is enterprise IT and I was born an audiophile. So I'm going to start this thing myself. Uh, so I founded Computer Audiophile. It's kind of uh, what I like to say, the convergence of high tech and hi-fi. Uh, so normally those two things in the hi-fi world are antithetical. But, you know, uh, that's kind of the the basic gist of it high tech hi-fi there is more an increasing overlap between the two these days isn't there yeah yeah totally i mean it's it's great to see it's kind of the what i'll call the low end just based on price is kind of getting features that you know the high end has and the high end is getting features the low end has so it's i mean like you could get such great stuff for such cheap price now it's it's incredible and it's like the high end is kicking and screaming, being dragged into offering features that the low end has always had. So, yeah, it's it's a great time, really. You you mentioned that you were born an audiophile. Is this you? Is one born an audiophile? I thought it was a lifestyle choice. <laughs> it sure seems like it. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, it sure seems like it, though. As long as I can remember, I have always loved music and music that sounds really good. So. I just say I was born that way. <laughs> so for, for listeners who don't know what an audiophile is, give us a very quick definition. Yeah, sure. So uh, it's kind of like, you know, if you ask an engineer to, to ask two engineers the same question, you'll get 10 answers. It's kind of the same way with this. Um, to me, an audiophile is somebody who just likes to reproduce sound uh, without making any changes so for example like if i listen to a cd i want to reproduce exactly what's on that cd i don't want to make it sound like it's live i just assume that what i'm getting delivered is exactly what they want me to hear so that's kind of the gist of how i look at it okay it's it's a broad topic and maybe we'll have you on another time to discuss the whole question about what audio files try to achieve oh i would um, love it because there's so many misconceptions and there are well a lot of the misconceptions are because of the way that some of the people approach this some audiophiles and some non-audiophiles yeah i mean w in a way we speak different languages and you and i we disagree on a number of things and that's fine because you know we disagree politely um but there is there, there's a sort of religion around being an audiophile isn't oh, yeah. there for yes. some people yeah definitely and it's you know, people start to take things personally rather than this is a fun hobby. Nobody's saving babies or killing yep. puppies, you know? Yep. <laughs> okay, today we want to talk about high-resolution audio. Back in the day, we had singles, LPs, cassette tapes, 8-track tapes, even reel-to-reel. -reel. These were all analog formats. 
Even when early digital recordings were made, the audio was converted to analog to be pressed to LPs or copied to cassette tapes. But then we switched to CDs, which contained digital audio files. We discussed the various digital audio file formats in episode three, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But one thing we didn't discuss in that episode was high-resolution audio. These are digital audio files that go beyond CD quality. High-res files have become common in recent years, notably as people have more bandwidth and can more easily download large files. High-resolution audio files are much larger than MP3 or AAC files. They're even larger than CD-quality lossless files. To give an example of file sizes, I like to send people to the Gimmel Records website. This label sells recordings by the Talus Scholars, a group that performs Renaissance vocal music. You can see on each album page a list of all the available formats, from MP3 at 320 kilobits per second, up to high-res 5.1 surround sound. And each format shows its download size. I'll put a link in the show notes to one album that I'll use as an example. It's Missa Corona Spinia by John Taverner. This album in MP3 format is a 143 megabyte download. But go to the more or less standard high resolution version at 24 bits and 96 kilohertz, and it's 1.2 gigabytes or nearly 10 times as large. And the 5.1 surround sound version in 2496 is a whopping 2.7 gigabytes. So Chris, what exactly are high resolution files? Who needs them? What are the advantages? Uh, so I'll start by saying nobody needs them. <laughs> it's kind of, I look at it as food, water, shelter. That's what I need. Everything else, you know, not necessarily a need. Um, but they're certainly uh, desired by a lot of audiophiles and stuff like that. Um, and then to back up, you know, if we talk about what is a high resolution or what is high resolution file or anything, there is no definition. There will never be a definition. It's because the interests involved in creating a definition, some are financial, some are for like a greater good. We would like to everyone should agree on something. It just will never happen. So, you know, I guess I like to look at it as as a, the easiest way possible as a sample rate thing. You know, if something is, say, 88.2 kilohertz or above, I consider that high resolution. But really, you could you could make the argument that no, it's not, because if it comes from, you know, an old wax cylinder, <laughs> or is that high resolution? So it's really, there isn't one, unfortunately. Well, can we use a working definition that high resolution is anything that's higher than CD quality? Yeah, excellent. I think I think that's a great place to start. Better calling it better than CD quality, or at least that's where a lot of people were have been introduced to it. Okay, so let's start with a couple of definitions. When we talk about high resolution audio, we generally talk about two measurements. One is the bit depth, and the other is the sample rate. Chris, can you explain these? Oh boy. <laughs> so sample rate. Uh, the easiest way to think about that is the more samples, say, per second, the higher tones you will be able to capture. So uh, the higher frequencies, higher frequencies you'll be able to capture. So a CD captures the whole spread of the range of human hearing. And, you know, if you go above that to, say, 192 kilohertz, you'll capture half of that. So 96. So. You know, bats and dogs could enjoy that thing all day long. Um, so, 
No, let's note that CDs are at 44,100 kilohertz. And there's a very interesting reason for this. I'll put a link in the show notes. It has something to do with the way videotapes worked at the time. And they were using two and a half inch videotapes to record audio. And somehow it just happened to work out that 44.1 or 44,100 just fit with these videotapes and also corresponds to the human frequency range. As you mentioned, the frequencies you hear are half of the sample rate. So with a 44,100 kilohertz sample rate, you can hear about 22,000 kilohertz, which is, as you said, uh, the limit of human hearing or even above the limit of human hearing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's a lot of stories around why there is a 40, why it is 44.1, the one you mentioned, and also because that's what they could, you know, fit on a disc back in the day if we go to 44.1 it'll fit this whole recording and i'll be happy with it so i think there's a lot of folklore involved in it Um, okay but you know one of the common misconceptions around a sample rate is if i sample at say 192 uh k then i will be able to smooth out this waveform make instead of the stair step diagram that is often used in marketing that if i sample more times a second i'll be able to capture more of this information and it'll make it sound better, which is entirely false. It looks great on marketing, but when you look at how it actually works is if you sample 192,000 times, you'll just be able to capture higher frequencies. You know, it's, and, and that's a really hard thing for people to understand when you looked at the marketing stuff so frequently where it shows jagged edges with 44.1 and you go to 192 and it's so smooth. So it's, it's an important thing to think about. Okay, so I, I want to be clear about that. Just just because something is sampled at a higher rate doesn't necessarily mean that the overall quality is better. I mean, it's not like it's analogous to recording at a faster tape speed, to be medieval for a moment. But sampling at higher rates does include frequencies that, while I may not be able to actually detect them, may influence other frequencies that I can hear. Is that about right? You know, that's that's probably part of it. And I also think there's like this, uh, they're trying to carry the, what works for other technologies and industries over into audio. You know, if I have more lines of resolution on my TV, oh, that probably looks better. So if I sample way more times per second in audio, hey, that might sound better. You know, it's, it's trying to take what people can visually see and understand over into this, why they create the graphics so often. So what about the bit depth? This is the other measurement that's used. So bit depth for most uh, applications really concerns like how I look at it is volume. So uh, 16 bits is on a CD. Most high resolution is 24 bits. And I'm sure somebody's doing 32 or 64, whatever they want, you know, it'll never end. Um, But I look at it as, so if you have 24 bits and you need to turn down the volume, they lower the bit depth in, say, a digital to analog converter. Um, And so that's just kind of like in terms of, you know, a layman would look at it. And and really, bit depth, eh, you know, it's as important as sample rate. I don't think anybody would be able to listen to if you took a CD that was 24 bits and a CD that was 16 bits and go, ah, that one's 24 bits. 
you know it really comes down when you talk about dynamic range and how much volume you know you want and if you turn down volume a lot so it's i don't know you can get into a lot of complexities that to most people don't matter so why have high resolution audio files become a thing so yeah i look at it they become a thing for i think m not more than anything but first and foremost that there's a market for it right if nobody's gonna spend money on it nobody's gonna sell it so people are interested in it and then you look at okay how do i get these uh you certainly can't buy it on a cd because cd 1644 one so sites like HD tracks came along and you can download it. Um, so now you can download, you know, 96K, 88.2, and, you know, some of the other sites, they'll offer almost as high as you can imagine. So it's kind of like the technology is finally there. We don't have dial up anymore. So it's, yeah. I just got <laughs> one gigabit upload and download speed for a hundred bucks a month. And it's like the greatest thing ever <laughs> and so once you've downloaded uh, uh high resolution audio files how, how do you play them okay yeah that's, uh, what, that's how, another what good kind question. of software is available because yeah. a lot of people are thinking i can just download high resolution and then i'm gonna put it on my iphone and i'll listen to it on the way to work ah, that's probably not gonna work well um so you know the ways to play them i think you first look at software um certainly itunes will play any high resolution pcm file and, you know, then you look at applications like J River Media Center, uh, which is kind of a tool that can do everything. Um, and then one of the newer applications is Rune. I know, Kirk, you've uh, used Rune a little bit. And yeah. for somebody that's a music lover and to wants to be totally immersed in the music experience, there's nothing better than Rune. I just totally love it. So, you know, that's three ways to play back your high resolution in terms of software. But then you'll also need uh potentially need hardware to play it back as well um playing high resolution through the speakers and your imac eh. <laughs> if you want to feel free go ahead you know uh but having an external dac is really you know gonna help um a dac uh, let me just define a dac it's a digital analog converter you can think of it as an external sound card your computer connects to it either by usb or coax or optical and it converts the digital audio into analog which then puts it into an amplifier exactly and you know there's a dac in your iphone there's a dac everywhere you know it's people may think of oh dac what's that but you know it's they're using them every day so yeah as part of the high resolution playback you know it's one piece software one piece hardware um, there are some portable devices that can play high-resolution files. Uh, I recently reviewed a Fio X7. Fio is a Chinese company that makes some interesting hardware. I'm not sure if it goes up to 192. Um, there are a few others, but the the real problem is that if you if you really want to get into this whole high-resolution thing, you need to make sure that your entire chain is working correctly. The first time I wrote about high-resolution audio for Macworld some years ago, I pointed out that you need to change the settings in the Audio MIDI Setup app on your Mac in order to get something higher than standard CD resolution. And a number of commenters posted on the article saying, gee, I've been listening to these files and I never knew I had to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, you can see the reason for it in terms of why Apple has it that way. You know, they need to play back a whole bunch of different things at the same time. And, you know, that's how Audio MIDI works. Um, fortunately, people have developed apps that work with iTunes that'll change the sample rate automatically for you. Um, some of them probably, I think they're like as cheap as five, 10 bucks. 
and you know others are several hundred so but yeah that's a, a thing and in fact if your say your sample rates set at 44.1 and you open iTunes and then you're gonna play back 96 it's gonna be resampled and could sound much worse you know it some people wouldn't notice the sound others would say oh this high resolution sucks and make a you know opinion that high resolution isn't worth it based on that experience so I can't play high-res audio right out of the box on my Mac without some tinkering tinkering or you have to know you know oh I need to install this other app that will change a sample rate for me or use a different app uh, like J River or Rune or something like that um, and then yeah the you know it's interesting you mentioned the portable players uh, that'll do high-res and to me I don't know I I see that market as getting smaller and smaller um, because the they're limited in storage and this whole to me when I and you use it on the go to me copying stuff over to it before I leave it was cool I don't know three four years ago I didn't mind it but now with it was cool 15 years ago maybe <laughs> well when it got and, to and high I've resolution always, I've always said <laughs> that the reason the iPod became so popular was that Apple made it work so so seamlessly with iTunes that it would just copy your library. And so with this Fio X7, I had to use an SD card and copy the music folder by folder, album by album. And yeah, it's and also, you know, high resolution files are big, so the copy's slow. And and on top of that, if you're listening on the go outdoors, even walking in a quiet area, you're not going to have the headphones that would reproduce the sound well enough. You're going to have ambient noise anyway. So you won't hear a difference between a standard, you know, what you like to say, Apple Music 256K file or whatever, and a high resolution file. Oh, yeah, definitely. For, you know, 99.9% .9 of people, who really cares? They're, you're not going to hear anything different. And um, I just especially when the choice is, okay, I can load some high-res files, go through the pane, and put it onto a portable device, or I can use Apple Music or Tidal and stream lossless and have access to 25 million. I mean, to me, that's just a no-brainer. I love music, I want it all, I want it right now. And I'm willing to make that, that, that sacrifice. But um, in terms of headphones uh, and ambient noise, the ones I use are uh, customs. So from JH Audio, I totally will not use anything else. They block out 26 decibels of external noise. And especially when you're on an airplane, you get off and your ears are totally fine. So um, at least it gets you a little bit of the way of maybe I could hear the high resolution difference on the go um, versus, you know, ear pods or open back headphones certainly are terrible on the go. But customs, oh, I just totally love them. So you're talking about what's called ear monitors, what musicians use. Yes, inner ear monitors. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So in order to take high res portable, you need specialized equipment you need a specialized routine it just sounds kind of awkward it doesn't make a lot of sense to me it's awkward and doesn't make sense some people oh. there's you know there's a market for it some people totally love it and will load up the sd card and go through the ritual for me eh, it's not there just a bit too much work yeah yeah and i mean and i'm a card carrying knuckle dragon audiophile i love this stuff but <laughs> it's just it's work so another thing about high-resolution audio files, and there have been a number of stories over the, I don't know, the last few years, that some files that are sold as high-resolution really aren't high-resolution, that they're upsampled from CDs or other low-quality um, recordings. Can you tell us about this? Yeah, this is kind of the bane of high-resolution's existence. Um, so if you take, you know, the definitions of 
high resolution is anything above CD quality, you think, okay, where do we look at where where's the definition made when it's recorded when it's listened to you know there's all kinds of just ugly sticky non-consumer friendly type of things to know so if we look at what you purchase okay if i purchase a 96k miles davis kind of blue well that's 96k so that's high resolution however if if the record label says okay we have a cd copy of this we could just right click convert to 96k and sell that for $10 more then that's high resolution so you know that's been done not necessarily for Miles Davis but other people and then consumers purchase it and go well this doesn't sound any different and you know more learned concerners consumers run it through analyzing software and look at it and say oh this is just a cd upsample and you know that's happened so unfortunately it you know gives people a bad taste you say that you're, they're charging ten dollars extra for that and that's just i just wondered do they have to be ten dollars more i mean is there ten dollars more distribution Easy. cost or or, or construction costs <laughs> that go into, that's a good question that go you know, some people will think okay there's the bandwidth cost and the file storage cost and everything like that but i guess not owning a download store myself i look at it as whatever the market will bear. If people are gonna pay $25, that's what they're gonna charge. And you know what, that's fine with me. If I wanna buy it, I'll buy it. If I don't, I don't. Um, but I mean, I'm sure they could sell it for more, they could sell it for less, but you know, I guess that's how it kind of works. I don't think there's $10 more in storage and bandwidth costs, but that's no, just- No, there certainly isn't. <laughs> you know, especially with Amazon isn't. Cloud and how cheap things are, but you know what, I'm not in yeah. there, so I really don't know. Um, so, yeah, the, there's the whole upsample thing, but I think I think we should take a step back and think about what's more important when considering high resolution or any of this is the people involved in the process. So if I look at a recording that was mastered by, say, Doug Sachs, one of the greatest mastering engineers ever, I will I will know that that's going to sound pretty good and if that's available in high res, you know, maybe I'll buy it. Uh, but if I look at a high res recording that was mastered by, or produced by Rick Rubin and mastered by Vlado, <laughs> his mastering engineer of choice, I will think, you know what? That's gonna sound terrible. I may like the music, but it's gonna sound terrible. Um, so I think you really have to look at the people. So then it comes down to, okay, what if there's Doug Sachs mastered the album at 44.1 and 192? Which one am I gonna purchase? Because you know, chances are high that it's the same mastering engineer, then, you know, I can't tell people that, yes, you're certainly gonna hear a difference if you buy the high resolution, because a lot of people will not. And a lot of people will hear something that may not be there, or, I mean, there's just all kinds of things that, that go on. And then you have to think of, okay, the person playing it back, does their equipment sound better at 44.1 versus 192 just because of the way the equipment's designed? I mean, there's all kinds of things that go into this and that even makes it hard to, to compare it yourself. Like if I want to take a 44.1 track and a 192 track and make a definitive decision, is high resolution worth it? There are so many variables that I cannot do it. So, you know, and then there's also the case of there's a, Miles Davis, kind of blue, 
available in high resolution at 96 and 192 on HD tracks and many other sites. And I don't know that that remaster is available at anything else. So I'm buying the high resolution, you know. So, so you're saying in that case, it's not the same remastering as what's available on CD. Um, it's a different remastering for the high resolution version. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, it's, and people, you know, most people don't eat, sleep and breathe this stuff. So they may say, oh, I, I heard the Miles Davis at 192 sounds way better than all my 44.1. So high resolution is the greatest. No, that's that's not what it's telling you. It's saying that specific recording on your system is way worth the high resolution, you know? Yeah. And and that and that brings that that reminds me of something in the early days of CD. Um a lot of people were complaining about the quality of CD sound, and it turned out that at first um recording engineers were using LP masters for CDs before they figured out the correct way to master for CD and when you do that it just doesn't sound good for all the reasons like the RIAA curve and and the differences in speed as you go to the inner grooves and all that and when they figured out how to master for CD correctly after what is it a couple of years oh yeah or even longer how, was it longer than that well when i was doing radio during the transition from vinyl to CDs CDs were cranked out really fast early on yeah uh and it could be as long as four five six years before you saw properly uh mastered cd versions and then some i'll bet some back catalogs didn't get done for 10 or even 15 years yeah so so mastering really is important and i think a lot of people don't understand that um i linked on our um the next track website uh, a week or two ago to an article in pitchfork that talks about mastering about how it's a black art and it is very important but as you say it it's it'll affect a specific remastering um if the high resolution file has been remastered one way and the cd another um they're going to sound different and just an aside it's really interesting about miles davis kind of blue when the when cbs sony who columbia cbs sony whoever they're called now when they released the box set of miles davis's albums in mono some years ago there was no mono tape left of of kind of blue so they made the mono mix from the stereo mix <laughs> and they said it in the liner notes this wasn't hidden or anything but they just didn't have the tapes now you can hear a difference between the mono mixes of the other albums in kind of blue because there was this whole microphone placement thing that the mono mixes had a specific sound and kind of blue does sound different like it sounds a bit flatter yeah yeah and to kind of use the same analogy, people would listen to that mono and oh, mono sucks. <laughs> you know, it it to to just it's not the best. It, no, you know it. And people, I guess it's human nature to just want a definitive answer. You know, on things. Yeah. Is high resolution worth it? And there really is no definitive answer to that, unfortunately. And you know, I think the standard the standard high resolution audiophile line is high resolution is the greatest thing ever. And I don't, I'm not into that. I don't, I don't buy it. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. And on that ambivalent note, we'll wrap it up with our guest, Chris Conacher of ComputerAudioFile.com. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. This is really cool. I like the, the podcast. I've been listening to it. And, you know, I'm going to try to have my readers over here to listen to it. It's, it's really great stuff. 
Great. We appreciate it. So go to computeraudiophile.com to check out Chris's website. There are articles, reviews, and an extremely active forum. If you want to see some audiophile discussions of hardware and high-resolution files, you can spend an awful lot of time on that site. We like to end every show with our next track, that is the uh, next piece of music that we'll be listening to. Although in this case, this week, Kirk, you've got a video you're going to be watching, right? Yes, I've broken our rules this week. And instead of music, I've picked a TV series. And it is related to music, which is why I want to talk about it. Um, Cameron Crowe, who directed probably my favorite movie about music, Almost Famous, has a TV series that's starting up soon on Showtime called Roadies. And obviously it's about the roadies, not the musicians. You can watch the first episode online now, and it's really good. These are roadies working for a an arena-level band, and the whole first episode takes place in an arena in New Orleans. And in the same way that um, Aaron Sorkin's TV series are about people at work, this is about people at work. The music is secondary, but you still get the feeling of the love of the music. It's got Luke Wilson, who's the band's tour manager, Carla Gugino, who's the tour's production manager, and the absolutely um, brilliant Imogen Poots, who's the, the sort of lead character who's just a grip, but who's going to be very important in the show, you can see. She's the one who gets the good lines about how great music is and how big a fan she is. And these are lines that could have come from Kate Hudson's character in Almost Famous. It's marketed as a comedy. It's not. It's a drama. The show opens with a quote from Tom Petty that sums up exactly what it's about. He says, I think the general public has no idea what roadies do. Bless them all. I just play the songs. They make the show happen. Check it out on the Showtime website. There's a link in the show notes. It's a 10-episode series, and Cameron Crowe is directing at least the first six episodes. If you liked Almost Famous, I think you'll like it, and particularly if you like the sort of behind-the-scenes stuff about the roadies and, and the kind of work that they do that's really interesting. Well, it's funny you should mention Tom Petty because my next track is the latest album from Mudcrutch. It's called Mudcrutch 2. Mudcrutch was the band that Tom Petty was in before the Heartbreakers made him really famous. And about 10 years ago, he reformed Mudcrutch with some of the original members. They put out an album, uh, and I think they put out a, a live EP. Uh, they've just put out a second album. This stuff really takes me back to that 70s Southern rock sound, but it's also got some pub rock and swamp rock and psychedelic rock and jam rock and boogie rock in there. It's definitely a lot earthier than the anything the Heartbreakers ever did. It's called Mud Crutch 2 and it's my next track. This has been The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. You can find show notes and links to some of the things we talked about in this and other episodes at thenexttrack.com. There's also a contact form there you can use to send us comments. If you like the show, we hope you'll subscribe in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please think about giving us a review or rating. We'd appreciate that. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.